0: Well, hopefully you've picked up on a bit of a theme for this morning, and <laughs> where we're headed, and what we're going to be talking about today in the in the sermon, because we are going to, and we have been all morning, acknowledging um, our our need to give thanks, and this certainly does coincide with this being the the season and the time for the national holiday of Thanksgiving. And while we don't do this all the time, and we don't you know, we don't attempt to to shoehorn every every you know civic holiday into the, into the service, it really is fitting that for this particular holiday that many of us will be um, celebrating with friends and family on Thursday, it is fitting that we acknowledge um, that this is a good holiday. And that if ever there were a time to, uh, to recognize uh, sort of the, uh, once again, like the civic call that we, have, that we have before us to give thanks, to give true thanks and to spend time reflecting on all the ways in which God has blessed us, this is a good thing for us to do and to consider, even as a church. Because very clearly, of all of those holidays, um, this is one that is infused with the most explicit Christian motivation and Christian ideals. Um, Even in its founding, or uh, when when, when, when this day was established through a proclamation by George Washington, when you consider the, like, the motivation and the reasons for why he established, uh, and what, why he and Congress established this holiday, I think you can see pretty clearly that there is much that we would affirm and that we as, a, as people and as a church would commend. So I'm going to begin in an odd place, something I don't typically do, and, that's, gonna, is, and that is just by reading that original Thanksgiving proclamation, the, the words... Of George Washington as, we, um, as he and Congress once again established this holiday. He says this He says, Now therefore, uh, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the peoples of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that we, or, or, or I'm sorry, of all the good that was, that is, or that will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country, uh, previous, to be, or previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable uh, interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course of conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty uh, which we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish con, uh, con, uh, constituents of government for, the, for our safety and happiness, and particularly uh, the national one now lately installed, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, in the means we have of, of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general, for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer to us. And also, uh, that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon us, our national um, and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, uh, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, um, especially such as have shown unto us, uh, and to bless them with the government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science amongst them all, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Now, those statements remarkable on, on several, several levels, particular, particularly for us living today. Now, while there is uh, certainly some to, uh, to, to criticize there, I think that for us, it's, it's, it's a pretty stark reminder of just how explicitly religiously motivated um, not just this government, but other governments have been in their past. And though obviously these statements fall notably short of being explicitly Christian because they're, they're truly not, there's no, there's no explicit Christological recognition, no Trinitarian uh, recognition, it is still in many ways uh, a good thing to take, the, to take the words of advice and what is commended to us up, up seriously. Uh, to at this time and, and during this season and, and even on this Lord's Day, to consider the thanks that we are, um, or that God is owed, that we are to give to God. Because truly, as Christians, we, above all people, are those who should move about the world uh, with thanks on our lips. Knowing the true God sets us apart from other people. And even as we consider you know, the state of the country that we live in now, I mean, I think that, this, uh, that the quote that's often attributed to, to G.K. Chesterton, even though it probably wasn't, that the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful but has no one to thank, I think that, that rings true for many of the people that we, uh, that we know and even that we love amongst our friends and family. When a country sets aside a day and a season to give thanks, I think it is good and right for us to participate as far as we can. But the important thing is this, what we're going to look at in our passage today, is that should we participate, should we engage... Well, we need to be thoroughly and explicitly Christian in our participation, um, that if we are to give thanks, we don't just give thanks to some abstract, unknown being, but we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty, uh, the Maker of heaven and earth, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And thankfully, uh, from our text, we have received instruction on how we are to nurture the, um, that type of thanks, that it is a blessing uh, if we have civil, civil recognition at a time such as this. But nations may fail or they may succeed at different times in their duties uh, to promote true religion. For us, we need to make sure that we are shaped uh, by the word of God and that allow that to be the ultimate authority for all things that are moral and spiritual in our lives. We want to live a humble, not, uh, a humble life before the face of God and doing so, requires that we consider what it means to give him thanks, what he, um, how God has served us, uh, what type of thanks and praise is due his name, uh, and, and what mode our thanks should take uh, from this day forward. So I do want us to look at this entire section, First Corinthians uh, 16, at least the first uh, portion that we read together, under three headings this morning, the first of which is, the, uh, is this, is point number one, I do want us to consider the setting for thanks, the setting for thanks. If it's been some time since you opened up the pages of, of, of Chronicles, this, um, this story happens pretty early in the reign of David. It, in our story, David has just been anointed the king, following the, uh, following the kingship of, of Saul. And right away in this passage, as well as the first or, or the, the few chapters that precede it, we see the great spiritual difference between David's reign and the reign of Saul. As soon as David is anointed truly as, as king and, and ascends to his throne, he leads a great national revival that he sets out to reinstitute what would be right worship in the land of Israel. And, and in order to do that, in order to establish a true worship of the, of the one true God, well, one of the things that is necessary for David to recover is the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, and that happens in First Chronicles 13. Back in that chapter, we are told that, that David says, let us bring the Ark again of our God to us, because we did not do that. We did not seek it in the days of Saul. Under the kingship of Saul, the Ark was more or less forgotten, left in some town, abandoned. And one of the first things David does is set out to recover that ark. And so that's exactly what they do. Uh, They go to this town and they fetch it where it had sat for 20 years um, to bring it to Jerusalem, this new capital that David has first, well, he's first conquered this this town and now he's setting it up as his seat. Um, And if you're familiar at all with the story of God striking down uh, Uzzah, who touched who touched the, um, the the ark when it when it stumbled because the ox lost its footing? That comes from this period when, when they're trying to take the ark to Jerusalem, and what David establishes here is a big, this massive ordeal. This is a huge, this is a huge event um, that we read here in chapter um, sixteen. David has called all the important figures in the peoples of Israel. He's brought in all of his commanders, his, his, his military generals, right? So the mighty men are there. He's brought in elders of the people, leaders, leaders of the people. This great, you know, this great mass of people has, has assembled. And he's got all these Levites there. He's got all these various priests, these, these priests and musicians and, and people to lead the people in their, in their worship. And David himself... For this event um, has also taken on a very significant role. He has for the, uh, for the first official and formal time, even though he's done some weird things when he was running around in, in the wilderness eating showbread and whatnot. This is the first time that he takes on uh, his kingly position that comes along with its unique kingly privileges. Uh, he dons himself in an attire that's kind of like a priest. Um, he wears a priestly garb, and then he puts an ephod over it as well. Uh, he, so he's wearing these linens, he's got these priestly clothes. and he himself leads the procession into Jerusalem uh, of the ark, ahead of the ark dancing and, and leading the praise. And so in verse, or, sorry, and so in chapter 15, before what we read, there's this great climax in verse 28. It says, "So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting." To the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. So that is what's been happening. That's the setting uh, for this. And so when we get to chapter 16, um, we see David himself really establish what is nothing less than uh, the divine worship service before the Ark uh, of the Covenant in Jerusalem even though God has given instructions on what worship is to be like in the, in the, uh, in the Torah, this is the first time that it's, a, that it's fully, explicitly put into practice. Here, this first divine service. And what's wild is that it's not, a, it's not a Levite presiding over this first service. It's David. It's the king. He's the one who's functioning as a priest, Not not only in the way that he dresses, but he then is the one who offers up the sacrifices and gives instructions to the priests in in terms of what their role is supposed to be. This worship service includes all the details that you would want to find in a truly rightly ordained and ordered worship service of God. God is there in his presence. Um, There are offerings being made, burnt offerings, to cleanse and then to consecrate the people. There's this peace offering established and, and made before the Lord, um, that goes up assumedly like a pleasing aroma. And With the people's sin forgiven, them made holy, consecrated, David pronounces a blessing over the people, and then all the people are distributed a portion so that they can commune uh, with God and participate in this in this meal. It's a truly wonderful scene. A uh, an awesome picture of what exuberant praise and worship is to, is to be like, this solemn assembly of God's people that has taken place. There's this minister there in the form of David, it's cleansing, consecrating, it's once again this meal of peace, blessings in the name of God being placed upon the people. Not unlike those things that we continue to do today. But I I want you to notice in this first worship service, this has big implications for the rest of this passage, is the order of events that takes place. In this uh, this worship service, through David's administrations, God is the one who acts first. He forgives and cleanses. He consecrates. uh, And he eats of the peace offering first. He covers all the people of Uh, or he covers all their guilt, and he gives them grace. There's guilt, and then there's grace, and then after all of that, then it's time for the people to respond. And David, in this passage then, in our purposes for today, orders their response uh, in the form of a song so they can express wholeheartedly their gratitude. It moves from guilt to grace, and finally, gratitude. This service, then, shapes the people, or it shapes the way in which the people are to, give, are to give their thanks. And The rest of this chapter, then, details all the musical preparations, and even the content of the songs that should be sung. As the people um, are, are told to praise the Lord, but to give Him thanks... To express their deep deep gratitude when David uh, selects the musicians and he gets them set up in verses seven or four and seven, you have that idea of, of thanksgiving being the primary motivation after all this stuff God has done for them and he's brought the ark back and he's reinstituted true worship. Thanksgiving is the motivating uh, theme, and idea behind this behind this response. He appoints the Levites to invoke, to thank, and to praise in verse 4. And then in verse 7, on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord. And all that is to say, one of the necessary things that we do when we gather as people, not just on this day, but every Lord's Day, is to worship with thanksgiving. For this to be a time of, of expressing our gratitude uh, in very explicit ways, however. That thanksgiving is a foundation for all of our responses to God when we recognize and consider what He's done for us. But specifically, how we're supposed to give thanks or what things we are to give thanks for, the content of those those thanks, well, that's given to us here in this song, so the second thing I want us to hear, I want us to see is point number two, uh, the singing of thanks. the singing of thanks. So it's a, pretty, it's a pretty cool scene, right? David has set up this worship service. Uh, he's got all these people there. He's, he's even got the Levites there. This name, Asaph should be familiar because he's the author of many psalms uh, that we find throughout the Psalter. And and it's cool because David recognizes you know Asaph and his priestly brothers are there, and so he arrays them. You know, he gets them together to uh, uh, in order so that they can lead the people in their singing. It's it's like you know Asaph he's got this he's got this family band, and so it's so David calls upon Asaph and the boys to uh, to lead the whole congregation of Israel in this in this praise and thanksgiving. These guys are about to shred on the harps and the lyres and with the tambourines 're he 's getting them set up and ready to go and the psalm that follows once again the the entire theme that runs through it is this is a psalm of thanksgiving and this psalm is like a medley or it 's an it 's an assortment of the greatest hits of Thanksgiving in the Psalter because it really does pull from several psalms, like Psalm 105 or 10, or 96, Psalm 106. Um, there's others as well where it just takes that and remixes it uh, for the people. The psalm is broken down into three simple sections and three ways in which the people are to show their gratitude that would, be, that, that would be helpful for us to take note of as we think about how are we supposed to give God our thanks. The first section is that group verses 8 through 13. And these verses provide, it's like a, it's, it's an introduction to this hymn. It really does cover several, several topics. And it does so through a series of direct um, exhortations or direct commands or admonitions. This section is just telling the people, all right, this is what God has done. Here's now, here, here's now uh, the way in which we're going to respond and give our thanks. I notice through this section just how many commands and how many direct uh, instructions there are. You know, people are to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make him known among the peoples, to sing to him, to praise him, to talk of his wondrous works. To glory, you know, they tell, he tells the people to glory in his name, to let those who seek rejoice, to look to the Lord, to remember, and so on. Here from these few verses, this this introductory uh, section, we are we are showed um, the fact that a right response to God, a true thanks, like a true giving of thanks, does in a sense require some action. Uh, it does require a movement of our of the heart that we that we master ourselves um, and follow these instructions. That being thankful and expressing gratitude. For, to God for his mighty works, isn't just something that we, you know, uh, that, we, that we can passively settle into. But when our hearts are stirred by all the work that God has done and that there is a great call upon us to, to act, to consider, and to worship in this way. Grace, God's grace, does motivate us, and we can't lose sight of that, even in our giving of thanks. Thanks. Well in the second section which runs from verses 14 to 22 uh, roughly there's this great call to remembrance and there's a lot of overlap here with Psalm 105 if you if you went back and and looked at that section particularly starting in verse in verse 14 part of the giving of thanks though here is that we are to remember we're called to remember and there's an emphasis in this section to remember One particular thing is, as the people come to service, and in many ways, all all true worship services are a renewal of God's covenant, that we are reminded of the covenant that God has entered into with us, that is essentially what we have to remember in our thanks here as well. We get to remember God as the God of the covenant, um, the covenant that he established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You should see those names running through this section. We remember the fact that God from ages past um, has established for himself a people, that he has promised to be their God, uh, that he will be faithful to them. And part of what's necessary in giving thanks to him rightly is that we have to not just remember what he's done, but we have to rehearse those particulars of the past. We need to rehearse history for ourselves. We have to constantly tell ourselves um, about the past. It's, if you come from a family that has a few, you know, one or two stories of family history that grow into taller and taller tales that you tell yourself every, every time the family gets together, it's, you have to rehearse those things to keep them vibrant in your memory. Otherwise, otherwise those memories fade. It's essential here to recall the history of what, has, of what God has done so that we can know precisely what we're being thankful for. We need to know um, how we fit into God's story and how we've been united into a people that stretches way, way back. And we even have to rehearse those things which maybe weren't so impressive about our history. When you look at verse 19, um, look at the way in which he describes the things that are to be remembered. They even praise God and give thanks. Um, when the people were few in number, when they were of little account and sojourners in it, when they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, uh, that even then, even when they looked like the most insignificant people, excuse me, on the face of the earth, well, God remembered them. He allowed them to not be oppressed and allowed for no, no single man or kingdom to wipe them from the face of the earth. Saying, "Touch not my anointed ones; do my prophets no harm." And frankly, I know we're not going to dive in a ton to the background of First Chronicles. That's a, that's something of great encouragement for the original people who received, um, who received this book, because Chronicles was written during a time of exile. Uh, it is it is written once once the north and the south have been have been carried away, um, exiled to foreign nations when they were. In reality, a people sojourning far from their homes, and even then, even though they had been conquered, they had been scattered around, uh, scattered around the known world. That even then, they were the people able to give thanks, and recognize even at a time like Abraham, or even at a time like we face now, uh, from their perspective, when they seemed insignificant, they were wandering. God did not forsake him; he did not forget his covenant. He did not leave them um, to the uh, to to be forgotten through the course of time, and for that reason, it is good to give thanks. When the last section, verses twenty three to twenty nine, the theme does change for one last time. That as it moves, that the the whole song moves from considering what life was like under exi- uh, um, for the time of exile and how insignificant they may seem to then extolling the glory and the power and the strength of God. The kingship of the Lord of Yahweh comes into the foreground in this last section and it looks forward to a future that is, not, um, that is not troubled, but a future that is glorious and that is bright. One commentator said, if the, chronicle, if the chroniclers' re- readers could identify themselves with their forefathers, the patriarchs, who were a politically insignificant group that grew to a significant people as their story unfolded, the people of Israel of the, of the chroniclers' day might well take hope and look to a brighter future. Their God was a great God, whose salvation was to be, claimed, was to be proclaimed from day to day. He was great and most worthy of praise. Be revered above all gods. The gods of the nations were but idols, but Israel's God made the heavens, and before him was splendor and majesty, strength and joy were in his dwelling place. And that's what the people give thanks for in this last section. That their God is truly to be declared as the great God above the heavens and the earth, that he's above all other gods, rendering them just as false idols. And that before him goes splendor, majesty, strength, and joy, and power in his place. And it's so much so, the fact, and they're so confident in that, in that reality, that they aren't just satisfied to sing those praises themselves, but they call all of creation, the whole of the earth, to join in in this singing of praise and thanks. Say so all the earth is to praise him. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name, that He deserves. Everybody worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. In their thanksgiving, they once again, they take their call to action, uh, to stir up their, their wills, to praise Him. They remember sincerely the mighty works that he's done and, they, and it culminates in this great uh, in, invitation to the ends of the earth to join into this praise and in this thanksgiving. And those types of things really do form a, a blueprint for what should be included when we give the Lord praise with our, with our lips. So the last thing I want us to see here in point number three from this text is The ongoing thanksgiving, point number three. The ongoing thanksgiving. This passage is not remote, um, or it shouldn't be remote and foreign from our own experience if you've been walking in Christ. In every way, the experience of this people is still, Lord willing, our experience. We need to pay attention to it. This is the paradigm that that has continued throughout history, for God's people. The end of this whole giving of thanks ends in this final petition where the people sing, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather and deliver us from among all the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. They ask God that we, you know, they desire for their thanks to continue. They want God to be thanked. They want him to be glorified. And, and, and in order for that to happen, God needs to continue to deliver them, to save them, and to gather them from among the nations. That is a prayer, uh, a petition on the lips of those people, and it is still the prayer and petition that, that us, the church, the people of faith um, that we have today, to deliver us and yet as confidently and as exuberantly as they are, were able to sing that, um, sing that prayer back in their day with the ministration of types and shadows, how much more uh, are we to sing that, um, that song of praise and thanks um, when we consider what has been done for us and how we have been redeemed through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has accepted the praises of his peoples in the same way throughout Redemptive history. But our worship today, uh, that we participate in not just this morning, but all Christians uh, throughout the world, our worship truly is founded upon better promises. That it's not through animal sacrifices and types uh, that David provided for the people um, that we now worship, but we worship now and we give thanks to the name of the once for all sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we have the same elements communicated to us with more clarity um, and with more potency, that we know that our sins have been forgiven through the shedding of Christ's blood, that through the burnt offering that He offered up to the Lord of His own body, He does uh, consecrate us, so much so that He could already call us what we don't feel like we are, that we are truly holy in Him. He has established an everlasting peace between us and God to now we can relate to God as our Father uh, and Christ as our brother and friend. And we are served and continue to eat uh, a meal at at his table and yet that meal uh, is not just a meal that finds its potency in the the shadows of the past but the meal that we eat uh, is a precursor to that great wedding feast, the supper of the Lamb that we are to have on that last day. That our meal uh, communicates to us nothing less uh, than Christ himself and his kingdom. And for us, therefore, as Christians, we should be people who are overflowing with gratitude that the only right and fitting response for the realities that we have in Christ is thanksgiving. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews Uh, Chapter 12, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There are many ways in which we go about this in our daily lives. Um, When you are to offer up thanks, when you wake up in the morning when you rise to when you go to bed, when you spend time with your family and you you lead your household and yet there is this unique way in which the divine service is a fit setting uh, for god to not only serve us but then for us to respond with our gratitude and our great giving of thanks worship our worship in a way is shaped by these purposes in this format, that we move from guilt to grace uh, to gratitude. And we even see a lot of the same elements at work once uh, once again. We have a minister, um, a God working through that minister uh, to forgive and to consecrate and proclaim his peace and blessings upon the people. And then we have a time of response. And even in the midst of, of doing this worship, what do we do? Well, we are called... We are calling people to, to act, right? We are trying to stir your will. We are, we, we are telling you, you can't just sit back, but you have to participate. You have to actively uh, give thanks to the Lord. We are, we are constantly trying to restory your lives to remind you of who you are, where you fit in in the grand scheme uh, of redemptive history. And even here, uh, meeting together in this middle school building, we are testifying to the, to the entire world that everything and everyone um, needs to praise God, that he demands your praises, and he will have it in the end, one way or the other. Let us not grow weary in the task of right worship and in the giving of thanks. And even if you don't think you have the great voice or, or the greatest voice, uh, one of the key and primary ways that, that this takes shape uh, is through Singing. And don't lose sight of, the, of, of that fact, even as we've gone through this entire, this entire psalm, that's, that singing and the giving of thanks has always been linked. And it's not just here. As we read in Colossians, right, we, read, we, we read in Colossians that there's this giving of thanks that happens um, while we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. And it's, a, it's the same exact way in Ephesians 5, right, where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and that you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, may we uh, then continue in our worship this morning and throughout the rest of our lives with, with, uh, with voices that are, that are loud, even if they're not in tune, uh, as mine often isn't. That are that are loud, overflowing with joy and thanksgiving, and may, and may the people of the Lord, um, be blessed, and may God Himself, the Lord, be blessed, um, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let's pray.